The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you. I praise God for you. Man, the worship team always does an incredible job, but I, I don't know that we've ever been teed up for uh, what God has for us in His Word <laughs> by the worship quite so good as that. That was really good. Thank you, guys. Um, I'm Pastor Vince. I do a lot of the Bible teaching around here, if you don't know that, and uh, that's what I'm here to do with you now. Um, for those of you who are kind of church family and would, would know the, the players in this, um, I'm going to Maybe, see how it goes, preach a little shorter today. Uh, my brother Ryan and I are going to leave from here, and we're going to be driving to Des Moines. It's about 10 hours. Uh, our granddad passed away on Wednesday, and uh, so we're going to go out there for a celebration of life. And uh, some of you have known that and, and offered condolences and prayers, and really, we appreciate that. Uh, but if, if you're going to pray for us, what we'd ask for uh, is that you really pray for us. What, what we're going to do is seek to be a light and love and support and point people to Jesus in the midst of their grief. Ryan and I both had an opportunity to talk to Grandpa uh, the week before he passed. We had both individually had great conversations. His hope was in Christ. Uh, he had been sick for a while, and he was, he was ready to go home. And so him and I both have great peace about that, and uh, we're, we, we feel good about it. Uh, but we're going to go, and there's going to be a lot of family there that <clears throat> don't have as much peace about it yet, and, and we want to represent the love of Christ to them, and, and be a light. So if you just pray for our travels and 10-hour uh, drive and all that jazz, and uh, that the Lord would use us there, that's really what we're going after, okay? So thank you for that. Appreciate it. Uh, we're going to continue today in our series through Mark. So if you turn with me to Mark chapter 8, and uh, we're going to start in verse 27 today. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. What a week. <laughs> Man, God's so good. He's going to help us today through his word. I'm thankful for it. He sees us right where we're at. Amen. So we're in Mark 8, 27. If uh, you don't have uh, a Bible or an app with you, we'll have the, the scriptures on the screen for you. And remember, if you don't own a Bible, one of our favorite things to do is give them away for free. So let us know afterwards, and we'll give you a Bible, okay? Amen. Let's read God's Word together. We're in verse 27 of Mark 8. Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, Who do people say that I am? They told him, saying, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others, one of the prophets. And he continued by questioning them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered said to him, You are the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get, me, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me in my words and the adulterous and sinful... In this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Praise God for his word. Amen. Okay, uh, as is normally the case, there's, there's a little more going on here than meets the eye. Okay, so let's, let's dig here a little bit. The first thing we want to notice is that we're given a location here, and it's really significant. Okay, they're in Caesarea Philippi, all right? This place is right at the base of uh, Mount Hermon. It was a prominent center 
of worship to uh, the pagan god Pan in particular, but many uh, other various pagan gods. There was a marble, very grand marble temple here to Augustus, who was a Roman leader. Okay, so we've got pagan idol worship. We've got uh, big monuments to the glory of Rome. Okay. Also, interestingly, there was a cave located here, which was commonly believed by the people of the time to be an entrance to the underworld. Now, I'm wondering if any of my fellow Bible nerds have any cross-references tweaking right now in their brain. Is that ringing any bells for anybody? Okay. This, this thing that we just read happened right near this opening in the earth that people of that time thought was an entrance to the underworld. Okay. If we remember Matthew's account of this same exchange where Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And and we get more dialogue in Matthew's account, right? What does he say? He says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Simon. What else did he say? He said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And he said, something wouldn't prevail against it. The gates of hell. This was commonly known, this area, this cave was commonly known by those people essentially as the gates of hell. It's very intentional. That's what what I'm trying to show you. The sovereignty of God, even in the location where Jesus brings these guys to ask them this question. This is a great place to ask this question in the face of all of this other idol worship, in the face of this worship of the glory of Rome and where there's this opening in the earth that people commonly thought was the gates of hell. And what we see being asked here, friends, let's make no mistake, this is the question of all questions. This is the one that matters. And this is the question that we're preaching through this book to have a clear answer to. What is the question? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Right? And Peter's answer, what was it? He said, you are the Christ. Now, there's a time for us to all be humble in a big group. How many of you, I'll raise my hand first, remember being a young man reading the Bible, how many of you ever thought Christ was Jesus' last name? I did. There's one other honest person in the room. All the rest of you were born Bible scholars. That's amazing. I celebrate you. Well, I guess all of you already know it, but for the two of us that may need help, uh, what, what does that actually mean? Well, Christ is a Greek form of the Hebrew word for Messiah, okay? And so Messiah being the English translation of the Hebrew word, Christ being the Greek, both of those, what they mean is anointed one. It means anointed one. And it's, it's interesting that we see here Jesus again tell his disciples after Peter has this, this big answer, what seems to be the right answer, he says, you're the Christ, we see that Jesus warns them not to tell anyone who he is. And isn't that a little bit perplexing? It, 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 it is at face value, because isn't that what Jesus' followers are supposed to do, right? Is tell people about him and who he is. What was the issue? Why did he keep warning them, don't tell anybody? What's he doing there? Well, here's the, here's the thing. Peter knew the word Christ, and he knew Jesus was the Christ. And, and the issue with that is, though, that Peter and, and the rest of the people, the rest of the, the Jewish nation at that time, they had an idea in their heads what the anointed one was going to do. But their perception of his purpose was dead wrong. And so Jesus didn't want his disciples running around telling everybody, hey, the Christ is here. Hey, he's the Messiah. Because what they thought Messiah was going to do was totally different than what he was actually coming to do. They thought he was going to rise up in might, primarily militarily, and restore the glory of the nation of Israel by toppling all of her enemies. That there was going to be this display of power from God in in bringing this human savior. There's so much more going on, and Jesus is about to explain it to us. He's about to pop the top on this thing, okay? Let's look at verses 31 through 33. We're going to read them again. This is so good, guys. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly 
And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Guys, this, this right here, this statement from Jesus, this is, this is the paradigm-shifting reality of Messiah's purpose. This changes everything. And if, if you're sitting here right now at this point, thinking, yep, I, yeah, I, I, I got all this, yep, I knew about Caesarea Philippi, I knew about Mount Hermon, yeah, I know about the gates of hell, I've heard all this, I've got a study Bible, buddy. Yeah, I didn't think Christ was Jesus' last name. I don't, I'm not sure there's going to be anything in here for me. Let me can I just, in, 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 in a love-filled attempt, can I, can I smack you and try to humble you real quick? Because just remember what we're dealing with here. What we're dealing with is, is, G, is Jesus asking this question. Peter gets the question right, right? Who am I? You're the Christ. Then Jesus starts to explain what that means. And who is, the very same guy then is like, no, no, hold on, Jesus, and starts to rebuke him, okay? Peter had been with Jesus now on this several-year camping trip, right? They're, They're rolling around, he's seen all the miracles, he's heard all the teachings, all the ones we have recorded and all the ones we don't. He spent all this time with Jesus, and he still didn't get it. So to think, sitting here right now at this point, that you get all that this means, I promise you, you don't, because none of us do. Because we could spend the rest of our lives, the little bit that I'm going to unpack for you today, we could spend the rest of our lives thinking about it, and we will not exhaust it. Part of how we're going to spend our eternity is just spinning the beauty of this jewel forever and letting the light of God's unveiled face, that radiant glory, shine through it and be amazed and set in awe again and again and again and again. Okay, that's part of what eternity is going to be like. So perk up, because you're still going to miss something by the end of this. This well goes far deeper than we could possibly get to and that, as humans, much less in this sermon. Okay? Amen. Now, I, I told you that Christ means anointed one, right? And I think it's, this is a perfect time for us to mention, and maybe you've heard this before, but it's a perfect time for us to remember that there were three offices of authority which were anointed with oil as a sign of God's selection. Okay? The anointed one. That's, that's what Messiah means. That's what Christ means. And what, it, what, it, what were the, those three offices of authority ordained by God that were anointed with oil? You had prophets, priests, and kings. All three were anointed by God for their purpose and for their calling. And what we find here, and this is real important for us to think about, Jesus is the only one who could even come close, but also does perfectly, fulfill all three. He's all three. He's prophet, priest, and king. Looking again at, (laughs) well, let let me take some time. Maybe this won't be a short sermon. I don't know. I think it's interesting for us to even unpack a little bit what that means. That's, that's cool, but what, what does that even mean? So what, what is the distinction between a prophet, a priest, and a king? What were their roles in God's purposes and kingdom? Well, the prophets primarily were, they, they were declarers. They were heralds. They were teachers, right? So was, was Jesus doing that? Yes, of course he was. That's what the beginning of Mark said his purpose was. I came to call to repentance. He came absolutely as a prophet and fulfilling the role of a prophet, a preacher. But also, he came as a priest. And that isn't quite as apparent until he dies in our place for our sins, but what what did priests do? So prophets were the heralds, the the declarers of God's truth, the, the ones that called out in warning, right? What did priests do? Priests were the ones that were they had relationship with the people. They were close. Think of, think of a lot of what you think of in, in, in the, the vernacular of a pastor and a shepherd. They, they knew the folks, but also they had this function of, especially in the time of the tabernacle and the temple, of standing in between the people and, and God, right? They were the ones that would go in and offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And so the priests had this kind of pastoral role. And so Jesus came as a prophet. He also... 
functions as our high priest and is our king. What did kings do? Kings represented the authority of God in the, in the earth. He, they ruled over the people and, and were supposed to do it in the image of the way they thought God would do it. Few of them did that even close to well, but that's what they were supposed to do. Be an extension of God's authority in the earth. Rule over the people fairly and rightly and lovingly. Jesus did do those things. He fulfilled all those offices, and he is to this day. Amen. I think it's interesting, and I've, I kind of already said this, but it, <clears throat> and there's so much going on right now that makes this especially pertinent. I really think we need to put ourselves into the shoes of Peter in this situation and think about how often we find ourselves in similar situations. <laughs> whatever the issue is, whatever the, the question is, the debate is, man, Peter was in this spot where the, the question is asked, he's kind of the spokesperson of the disciples and maybe just because he had the biggest mouth. I don't know, you know, his foot was in it a lot so it's hard to tell, but Jesus asked this question, who am I? He says, you are the Christ. I mean, if, if, if this is the question of all questions, then Peter got to say the answer of all answers, right? This is, a big, this is a big high, right? And then what happens? Jesus starts to explain, okay, you're right, and here's what that means. I'm going to be betrayed, and I'm going to, have to, I'm going to, I'm going to be rejected by all the elders and leaders, by all the religious folks. I'm going to be murdered. That's what's going to happen. And Peter, after being on that high of being so right about the question of all questions, man, he gets, he's, then he's so wrong. Immediately. There's no gap in between. And, and, and again, this is a guy that had spent this much time with Jesus. We, here's the point that I'm getting to in this, and this is about theological things. This is about natural things in our life. This is about, yes, in particularly, surely, political things. You can, you, you can be right in one part of it. You can see one part of it right. He, he knew that Jesus was the Christ, but his understanding of what that meant meant he stood in a place of being dead wrong just a few minutes later and standing in opposition to what God was saying. And, and so I'm, I'm just asking you to realize you are not better than Peter. I'm not better than Peter. You can be right about a part of something, but be dead wrong as well. Your, your, view is, your viewpoint is limited. You are not God. Right? Everyone knows that, right? That one, that one should be easy. <laughs> that one shouldn't have been a groundbreaker. I, I mean, whenever you find yourself in, 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 a, in a debate or wrestling through something or, you're, you're, or it's, even, it's coming up to the place of an argument, man, I th- it would just be healthy for us to stop and ask myself, like, am I Peter in this thing? You know, like, because we all do it. And, and, and yet, we see this example of a guy that was trained personally by Jesus for this long, still being able to be this wrong, and, and, and we somehow get this idea in our sweet little heads that we're, we're beyond that. That we see it all. We've got it all figured out. It, it's, it's no bueno, friends. <laughs> it's no good. As Jesus continues to teach here, so he has this interaction with Peter, and then, and then, he, then he calls the crowds in, and he, be, and he be, kind of teaches off of this moment, right? And, and in that, I think we can see that Peter's motives, because you, you might be thinking so far, like, man, Jesus, that was pretty harsh, right? Like, maybe Peter just loves Jesus and doesn't want to see Jesus be tortured by the Romans or betrayed by uh, the religious leaders, but we, we see here that it was not just love for his master that caused Peter to protest what Jesus was saying. It was also clearly about self-preservation. Uh, how do we see that? Well, what does, what does Jesus go into then saying? First of all, it makes it pretty clear, you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's, right? So it wasn't just about his love for Jesus, there was also something going on in Peter. Well, what, what is that? It's the fact that Peter, it's the same reason why Jesus said, 
you're right on the Christ, but don't go start talking about it yet because you don't even know what that means. The problem is Peter, like everybody else, thought Messiah was coming to do some things a certain way. And if it wasn't going to happen that way, that meant Peter, who had given up his whole life now to follow Jesus, was going to be in a different position than he thought he was going to be in. Because if this was going to be the king he was thinking he was going to be, if this was going to be the military leader that rose up and, and caused the, the toppling of the tyrants and all the power structures in place, if, if, if that was how it went, then Peter was going to be sitting pretty good, right? He's going to be like a general in that thing or whatever. But, if, but hold on, like, this is a... Can you imagine, can you imagine the emotion, emotional roller coaster here? Who do people say that I am? You know, John the Baptist and Jeremiah and Elijah, we don't know. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. That's right. Can you imagine where Peter, like, Peter's like, woo! And then Jesus says, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be murdered. And Peter's like, hold on, what? <laughs> like, he couldn't, it couldn't even compute for him. And there's, there's an element of self-preservation in this, and, and, and Jesus seeing that then, then teaches us how it is we're going to live in light of this truth, that he's a different kind of king. Okay? What does he say? He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Jesus drops a truth on them here. That yes, he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the anointed one, he's the one that God sent. But that the way God does things is so incredibly upside down and inside out from the way we normally think about it that it was going to change the world. And it did. And he calls us to live in light of this incredible inversion he's dropping on him right here. So what does Jesus mean in these scriptures that we just read? Well, what he's doing is he's letting us know the cost of following him. But it's like this, and this is precious. It's, when he says, if you're going to come and follow me, it's, it's not like, if, if you're going to follow me, then do what I say. Go over there. Go do this. Or go do that thing. That's, that's not how Jesus does it. It's, it's much more like a little child following in his father's footsteps in deep snow. He only asks us to go where he's already gone. He doesn't say, go do that. He says, come on. Come after me. You step right where I'm stepping. It's precious, friends. If, 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 if that's not hitting you some type of way, I want you to think about it more. Because it should. That's a different kind of leader. That's someone you can trust. Go die for me. That's what we expect earthly leaders to say. And many would say, yes, sir. How quickly? And there are situations that call for that throughout time and history and nations and all of that. Yes, sure, but Jesus isn't that kind of leader. He's not that kind of king. I'm only going to ask you to go where I've already gone. Following me doesn't mean you're going to be sent away from me to go do some task. It just means you're going to come with me, and I'm asking you to just do what I'm doing. What does Jesus do here? Friends, Jesus is body slamming our feeble human notions of power and power structures and how this cosmic battle between good and evil is meant to be fought. Yes, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one God sent to solve the problem. I'm going to die. Jesus is not like earthly kings. And his power is not like earthly power. He gave himself in a sacrificial act of love. And it is by this power that he reshaped the world. And then he shared that power with us. And he calls us to do the same.
The fact that we struggle to get this idea is exactly why there are some who are ridiculing the idea that all of our hope should be placed in the fact that Jesus is king. Our problem is that when we hear the word king, we think of earthly kings. And all our pitiful little squabbles over temporal power as humans. Jesus shows us here that it is compelling people through love and not controlling through fear, which is how you move people. He shows us here that compelling people through love and not controlling them through fear is what is ultimately going to win the day. And, and here's the thing. This idea that, that love and self-sacrifice and walking in the steps of our master is how we're called to navigate this world where we are aliens and sojourners, Right? And some of our problem is we just can't keep that fixed in our minds. Some of our problem is we, we, just get, we just get too overwhelmed and overcome with this temporal plane and this little trip we're on before we really walk into our eternal purpose. But this idea of, of fighting with love, right? It has implications with your spouse it has implications with your children, with your coworkers, and into every corner of your life. That's true. You, you cannot think about too much the series of events and what is said in these few verses we've read today. You cannot overthink about this. You cannot take too much time thinking about how this paradigm-shifting, world-shaping truth affects you, the way you think, and the way you live. You will never exhaust the application of this simple truth right here. That Jesus showed us a better way, a way we would have never seen coming. A way that even though we have seen it fully play out in the scriptures, the fact that we stand today with the benefit that Peter and the rest of the boys didn't have, that we have seen and we can read the accounts of Christ going to the cross and then rising from the dead, and we have the account of Acts and the church being birthed, and we have the teaching of Paul and Peter and James and all the rest. Even though we have all of that, we will still struggle to be able to grasp the depth of this truth and to be able to take that truth and take it from this place of mental assent to a heart-level belief that causes it to apply to the way we live. Part of what you need to realize you've signed up for in following Jesus is spending the rest of your life thinking about and then obeying what this means. Right here. So what I'm saying is there's no part of your life that this doesn't touch, that this doesn't affect. But I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to frame this now and, and apply it at the national level. What am I saying? What I'm saying to you, at least one way, one application of what we've read here today, is that when everything shakes out with this election, if in the end, the result, whatever that ends up being, you take a deep breath and you think, Okay, now I know we'll be all right. Or you are wringing your hands and thinking, oh no, we're doomed. Then in either case, your hope is in the wrong place. In either case. And I, I can anticipate some of your pushback. I can anticipate the hair on the back of some of your necks standing up. Well, what about free will? People have free will. What about free will? Well, let me, let me just say this. Part of your... <laughs> you know, some of you probably... I, I'm, getting, I'm getting older now. I'm in my mid-30s. I'm on like down, the downtrend of the testosterone bell curve. And some of you knew me when I was 25 and preaching, right? And so some of you have been worried. Like, man, I kind of miss... I kind of miss that guy that's a little more angst. And like, you know, well, buckle up. Because we're here. Part of our problem, I'm just going to say this, and I don't care. It's on the internet. What's up, camera? Part of our problem 
in the way we think about stuff like this is that we were born and we were baptized in Americanism. I'm thankful for this country. God has a purpose for this country. God has used this country and will continue to use this country. I don't know exactly how, but America exists and so God ordained it. Point blank period. Okay? But this whole idea that, do you understand over all the history of time, like the, the, way, the way we think about this, these types of things is, is it, none of our ancestors w- would have even conceptualized it the way that we, in, in, our ancestors in the faith would have conceptualized it because, you know, America is, is, is not even 300 years old, right? There's a lot of time between everything Jesus did and said and now. A constitutional republic, I mean, this, and I don't, look, man, nations rise and fall. Where's Babylon? Go find it for me, right? Where's the former glory of the Egyptians? I don't know, but part of our problem is, and I get it, there, there, there's nothing wrong with being proud to be an American. I'm, I'm thankful, and God ordains the times and places where he puts us, so if he put us here, he's got a purpose for us here. Glory to God, amen. But this idea of American exceptionalism and how, you know, we're always the best and, and we basically think of ourselves as, as, you know, Old Testament Israel 2.0, no, man, that's not it. And that's part of why we struggle to think through these things properly. That whole ideology needs to get cast to the side, okay? That was fun. What about free will? What if we go the... What, if, what do you mean, man? What, what, what do you mean I, I shouldn't be wringing my hands depending on which way it goes? Or what, what do you mean I shouldn't be breathing this big sigh of relief that, oh, now everything's going to be okay because X, Y, Z, whoever it is, political candidate got in. Here's the thing. The idea of free will. What if we go the wrong way? What if we go out of God's will as a country? <laughs> okay. Israel, back in the OT, remember this? Let's go OT for a minute. We want a king. We want a king like all the other nations, right? Isn't that what they said? And what did God say? It's a bad idea, guys. I'm telling you, that's, that's not best case scenario. If I give you a human king, they're going to abuse you. And they're, that kind of power given to a person, it, it's, it's corrupting. It's going to mess stuff up. Best option is you, I'm your king. And that's part of what makes us different. And it's good. Okay, God, we heard that, but we don't care. We want a king. Give us a king. What did God do? Did he say, nope, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to force what I'm saying is right on you. Is that what he did? Nope. Gave him a king. Here's the way, here's the way to think about that. Here, why am I bringing that up? Okay, That clearly wasn't what God knew was best case scenario for them. right? But what ends up happening? Saul's an anointed king. Yeah, that goes kind of busted. But then another guy comes in, right? David. And then we start to think about, well, well, then what happened? Well, then, then David had a son named Solomon, and then Solomon had some kids, and some more people had some kids, and then you trace on down the line, and, and who comes out of the line of the king that God said wasn't even a good idea to have? Jesus. What's my point? My point is, yes, God has given us the ability to have free will, and, and we, we get that, and we're even more excited about that here in America, because we get to vote. Yay! But here's the thing. When even, even if we sidestep what would be the best case scenario for us and whatever we do, God saw that coming. He wasn't surprised when Israel asked for a king. Do you, do you think God had to go back to the chalkboard like, oh snap, I didn't know they were going to ask for a king. Now how do I rework this whole thing and end up with my will being done? Nope. God knew all the time Israel in their foolishness was going to think a human king was a better idea and that Saul was going to be anointed and then he was going to suck at the job and then David was going to rise up in his place and then he was going to have Uriah killed and then he was going to sleep with Bathsheba and then they were going to have a son at one point named Solomon who was going to have sons and sons and sons and then Jesus was going to come out of that very line. He knew the whole time. And, and there are those that will hear what I'm saying and they'll be like, oh, well, you're, you're just, you're being a fatalist. That's not being a fatalist. What, being a fatalist is, is oh, well, well it, it, man, there's nothing we can do. It's just going to be what it is. And, and maybe I'm saying that, but it's not fatalism. It's, it's, not, it's not negative when you take into account the God that we're dealing with here. 
Because he's so good and so mighty that yes, knowing that he's going to get done what he wants to get done the way he wants to get it done, and we're not going to even understand half of what he's got working, is a great comfort. It's the only comfort that's... Jesus as king is not a trite answer. It's literally the only answer that's not trite. It's literally the only one. The answer that, let's, let's get everyone together and let's vote in our person and that's going to fix all the problems, that's a trite answer. That's a ridiculous answer. That's ignorant on every conceivable level. But having a God whose throne is above all these thrones, who can work in spite of and through all of our ignorance, who takes into account the fact that he, we have a God so big, get this, because it's hard. Listen, I get it. It's hard. Conceptualizing like God's will and God's plan and God's foreordination from the beginning of the world, like it's, it's mind-melting stuff, right? It, it totally is, and, and it is for me too. And there's lots of people that think they probably have it figured out, and I, I, they probably don't. It's just, it's too much. Eternity, just, just stop for a second and think about eternity always forever going backwards. Just try to conceptualize that with that three-pound piece of meat between your ears. Go ahead, I'll give you a second. Right, like system overload. Or think about eternity going forever forward. Or, or limitless space, right? It's, we're just humans, right? Isn't it just good for us to say that every once in a while? I'm just, I'm just a human. But he's God. And none of that stresses him out. <laughs> That's the world he operates in, man. Hallelujah. The alpha, the omega, the beginning, and the end. It's good stuff. I was heading to a point. It'll probably come back around. I think I lost it. It's all right. My point is, <clears throat> the, the question of, well, what if, I, I, heard, some, <laughs> I heard someone say this, uh, not this election, last election, God, did, God didn't get his choice. I'm like, well, we, we just have to be careful about the way we say stuff like that, right? Because did God say to Israel, hey, best case scenario is that I'm your king? Yes. Did he end up giving him a king? A human king? Yes. So you can try to get into parsing out like God's permissive will and, you know, whatever, all that. That's not really the point. The point is, because can that can get really into like some tall weeds and then you end up circling back on yourself and the logic falls apart and, and then and you're like, ah, oh, now I don't know what I believe. Here's the bottom line, okay? Above it all is a God who has taken into account all of our obedience and all of our sin all of the good things and all of the bad things, all of the little variables that our you know, feeble attempts at goodness and also our sin interject into the historical timeline, he's taken all of it into account. He's a, what, what God is more powerful? A God who, who can, with, with, his, with his might, just declare all things to be exactly as they're going to be and then... And then Hold, hold it in and, and force that thing to happen all the way down through time with his, with his might? Is that a stronger God or a God that can say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create people that actually do have the ability to choose and still get every single thing I determine to happen to happen. Taking into account the free will he gives us. I'll let you think about it a while. I've been, you know, for me, it's, I've been thinking about that a long time, so maybe the answer seems more obvious. I'll just give, my answer is option B. That's, that's much more powerful. That's incredible. It's nearly inconceivable. And, you know, those of you of a more reformed soteriological framework, I'm not, I'm not even necessarily speaking to that. I'm talking about, I mean, I probably feel the same way, but... That's neither here nor there. My point is, at a broad scale in the way we think about how this whole thing is unfolding and how freaked out everybody is for totally opposite reasons, the fact that Jesus is who he is, is a king, but not just a king, he's a priest king, and he's a prophet king. He's the anointed one. 
and that he is so mighty that he can defeat the forces of darkness by dying. <laughs> it's amazing, man. It's awesome. It's a pl- These truths are a place we can rest. We can, we can f- full, with full force in, in all of our hearts acknowledge, I don't know what's going on. And yet, have full peace all at the same time. When we talk about the kingship of Jesus, we must must not think of it as that he's going to force everyone to do what he wants. And I know what he wants. Right? Because there are those, and I I get what some folks may be criticizing. If someone says, into a person or into a situation, well, Jesus is king. If what they mean by that is, um, I, I have a really good handle on what God thinks about everything, and he's the king, so he's going to make you do what I think you should do. Burp. That's wrong. We must see that King Jesus rules by loving and serving and dying for his subjects. That's the way he rules. We can't just say Jesus is king at people who don't believe that. We must be ready to explain why that simple truth is a comprehensive answer to all our troubles and fears. I'm going to say that again, because there's many that don't believe that. And I, I, you know, I'm open to a conversation with anybody that, that, is, that thinks that what I'm saying is reductionistic. I, I don't believe it is. We must be ready to explain why the simple truth that Jesus is king is a comprehensive answer to all our troubles and fears. It really is. It's the only answer that's not trite. It's the only answer that isn't putting hope in something that ultimately can fail. Right? Because we're seeing the way Jesus reigns here. We're seeing how Jesus does kingship. By loving and serving and dying. By by doing what he then calls us to do, right? If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whatever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Come on, step in my footprints. That's what Jesus did. He denied himself. He didn't didn't cling to his rights as the creator and ruler of the universe. He had, literally, he has that right. If anybody has a right to force anybody to do anything, It's Jesus, right? It's God who made all things. I'm going to need you at least nod so I know that you're here. That's right, right? If anybody can force somebody to do something, if that's the way he wanted to do it, it would be God. Is that right or wrong? That's right. Okay? And that's part of our problem with thinking that whatever we think is wrong with the world right now, and I realize there's probably half of you in the room that are really focused on a set of issues that you think that's what's wrong with the world, and there's probably another half of you in the room that it's a complete other set of issues, and, and, and you, the problem with thinking that we're going to elect temporary human political leaders and that's going to solve all these problems, the problem with that is how, do, how are they going to do that? Well, how do we do it in this country? You know, you got the cartoon from back in the day where, you know, Congress makes a bill and then it becomes a law. We, we're going to try to legislate stuff. We're going to try to make laws and what we're going to try to do is have this big debate about whose set of issues is most important and which one is right and, and some people will even frame it in the idea of, well, from God's perspective, which set of issues is right and then we're going to try to take feeble human power and force other people to do the things that we think is right. And so that's why we're waving our flag for whoever our political favorite is that cares more about the issues that we care about and then we hope that they get in power so we can get behind their power and everyone can push and we're going to force everyone else to see it our way. That's not the way Jesus rules. That's not the way Christians are supposed to try to shape the world. Why is the fact that Jesus is king a comprehensive answer to all our troubles and fears? You know, there's, there's certain verses. This one might be on your fridge. You might have a tattoo of it. I don't know. There, there's ones that are popular, and, and there's a problem when that happens because it becomes cliche. But we've got to remember 
Man, sometimes cliches are cliche for a reason. There's, some, there's certain truths, man, there's a reason why they've been repeated so often that even people that don't read the Bible have heard it before. The reason why the answer that Jesus is king is a comprehensive answer to all of our fears and struggles and, and, and all of it is because of promises like we see in Romans 8. That God is going to work all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. All things. What does that mean? That means even our sin. He's even going to work that for his good. For our good and his glory. All the strife and evil going on. All the fighting right now. All the craziness. He's going to work all that. All of it for the good of those that love him and call according to his purpose. It's it, Saying that Jesus is king only comes off as trite. If you haven't taken the time or, or been, been introduced to who Jesus really is. Because once you understand who Jesus really is, once you understand that he, he, he's, he's not the kind of king that just run around and tell his subjects what to do and just expects them to do it, but he's the kind of king who leaves a heavenly, glorious, eternal throne to be born of a virgin in a barn and then to live in the dirt with all of us and to deal with all of our mess, and then he comes and he heals and he touches lepers and he feeds hungry people, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles too. And if, you, and if you know what he's doing, if you know what he's dismantling with every single miracle, if you see the meaning behind the meaning, if you understand what he's saying, that he's taking apart all of, that, all of that ancient ethnic superiority the Jews thought they had because God picked Abraham. When you understand all that Jesus communicated through not only what he said but what he did, you begin to understand he's the king that can be trusted. The re- the reason why Jesus is king is not a trite answer is because it's Jesus that's the king. It's because it's him. Forget about the king part for a second. It's him. It's Jesus that we want people to focus on. And that's what we, dear friends, have to be better at. That's what we need to be ready to talk about. Why is Jesus worthy to be trusted? Why is he? Is it because of religion? Is it because someone told you suit? Is it because you learned a Bible song in, in, in Sunday school? No, man. It's because he is the single greatest example of what, what, what upside-down, servant, love-filled leadership looks like. He's the only king that can actually be trusted. Because he's proven that he's not just trying to get something from you, but he wants to give everything to you. And his whole point is to be with you. That he wants you and he loves you. And he'll do anything to have you. And yet leaves you with the opportunity to either reject or receive that great love. What? It's amazing. He will work all things, all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. The implications of that also stretch into absolutely every corner of your life. In the end, for those who trust him, absolutely every issue Every evil, all of it is going to be conquered by love. I want to read you something. I want to leave you with this. <clears throat> I don't know if I preach short or not. I got no idea. It doesn't matter. So who, who's, who's the big players today? And so we got Jesus asking the question of all questions. We got, G, we got Peter giving the answer of all answers, right? Who, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. Friends, that's what, that's, that is it. That's what it all comes down to. When people, I, I, I know some of you struggle, you know, you, you have a desire to like share the gospel with folks and, and, and you want them to, to meet Jesus, but some of you, you, you end up kind of paralyzed because, you know, the internet's done a lot of great things, but it's also given people access to, you know, a lot of really quick and like cutting arguments against the existence of God or the goodness of God. And, and, I, and I know that those things can be really hard to deal with sometimes. And sometimes you feel inadequate to address those things. And friends, I'm just asking you to realize that the best shot we have to deal with any objection about God's existence or God's goodness is to focus on Jesus. Always take them back to Jesus. Don't, don't get caught in those red herring, uh, straw man arguments. Don't, don't loop and loop around with people. That if, if that's all they want to do, then, then you, sometimes, man, you've got to shake the dust off and go cast seeds somewhere else. But, but if, if you find someone that is genuinely trying to figure out, is God actually good? Is he good? Does he exist? Well, here, 
here's just something for you to consider. A humble Galilean peasant popped up on the scene 2,000 years ago and shook the world. And there's verifiable, recorded accounts of him doing insane miracles that have no explanation other than some kind of supernatural power. And then that guy was killed and he rose from the grave. And he taught all this stuff. So I think that speaks to God's existence and it also speaks to God's goodness. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the point. And Peter, during this exchange, he didn't get it. Peter didn't get it yet, right? Because as soon as Jesus said, yes, I am the Christ, and then he said, here's what that means, I'm going to have to die for you. Peter had the gall to rebuke him, the guy he just said was the Christ. But I'm going to submit to you that at least to some degree, as as Peter watched the rest of this play out, the cross and the resurrection, and and Peter got to see Jesus transfigured in his glory before he ascended, to, to at least some degree, Peter started to get it. Because Peter wrote this later. I'm in 1 Peter 5. It says, you younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. And all of you, and all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, having cast all your anxiety on him because he cares about you. This God, this God, this good of a God, this powerful of God, he cares about you. Be sober of spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers and sisters who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. The guy that pulled Jesus off to the side and said, no, no, no. And Jesus said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. You're thinking about man's concerns and not God's. Later was able to write this. You know, David wrote in the Psalms multiple times, there would be this idea of like, how long, Lord? Right? He would be talking to God about how he's crying so much that his bed is floating. Man, stuff's tough, right? Enemies to the right and the left. And He'd, have this, he'd be crying out, how long, Lord? How long is it going to seem like you're, you're not moving on my behalf? And, and listen, I, I think there's, there's value in, in relating to the Psalms and being able to be honest with God about how we're feeling. Yes, absolutely, and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to detract from that, but I think to some degree that question, that longing, that yearning that sometimes we, it feels like it resonates so much with us in the midst of all the stuff that we're dealing with, that, that question of how long, Lord, I feel to some degree, Peter answered it in verse 10. He said, after, after you have suffered for a little while. What does he say? The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We don't want to hear this. I know you don't want to hear this. I don't necessarily want to hear this. But I want to spend the rest of my life grabbing a hold of the beauty of it and trying to live it out. Here's what he's saying. After you've suffered for a little while, and then he contrasts that with the eternal glory of Christ, that little while, friends, that's all the time we're here. And to the degree we can start to see all the time that we're here on this planet as the little while that it is, contrasted against the eternal weight of glory, to the degree that we can grab a hold of that, is going to be the degree to which we can trust God and rejoice in the midst 
of all the stuff. Because here's what I'm saying to you right now. If all the things you're praying about right now, if all the things that are vexing you right now, if all the things that, if even though I know you're pushing against it and you don't want to live in fear, but the things that, that they try to creep in and cause fear in your heart, if all those things that you're concerned about right now, if they miraculously right now were solved, this is still a broken world and there will be a new set of issues. As long as you're here, you're going to be suffering for a little while. So to some degree, if you can buckle up and just realize that and quit feeling sorry for yourself and realize this is just a little while, but there's an eternal weight of glory at the end of this thing. that He's going to perfect us and confirm us and strengthen us and establish us and that we have a good God who's made incredible promises to us that even the suffering that we're experiencing, even that, he's going to work in it for our good. You can call that trite if you want to, but it's the only real answer we got. Because anywhere else you try to turn to find comfort for what concerns you, those things are going to crumble, man. They can't hold the weight. But he can our prophet king, our priest king, Jesus, the merciful. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, uh, we thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for putting Peter on the team so that we could, we could learn from him. Lord, help us not to think that just because we have the rest of your word that we're beyond Peter's folly. Lord, help us know that in many things we can be right about part of it and dead wrong about the other. Lord, please humble us. Lord, I want to pray a dangerous prayer over us. I'm, I'm asking you to do whatever it takes to humble us because we see what your word says, that you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. God, we know we are in need of your grace. Help us to know that. More and more each day, help us to be overcome with the reality of how much we need you. And God, we're asking you to do whatever it takes to humble us. I mean that nationally, and I mean that individually. I mean that as a church. God, there's only one posture to stand before you that's proper, and it's humble. And we can't afford your opposition. <laughs> we need your help. And Lord, I ask that you would just cultivate in us at least a hunger to meditate on these things. Lord, help us to humbly realize Whatever, whatever amount of revelation and understanding we have, whatever amount of illumination we have right now as it pertains to what we just read today, that we have yet but even scratched the surface of all that this means in a, in a theological way, but also in a, in a practical way. Lord, there's, there's, there's so many ways this applies. There's so many ways that so many of us could nod our head in, in wholehearted agreement to all that was said today and yet at the very same time that we nod our heads in agreement to all that was said today, we cannot be applying this in multiple places in our lives and not even see it. Lord, heal us of our blindness. Help us, please. Help us to see the beauty and the unmatched splendor of the reality that you rule by love. That you don't, you're not a ruler Though you have the strength to do it, that you just exert force to make people do stuff, but that you, you compel by love instead of controlling by fear. It's amazing. Lord, help us to follow in those footsteps. Help us stop trying to control people and teach us how to walk behind you and compel others by love. Help us to see what it means to lay our lives down with our children and our spouses, with one another in the church, with the world outside who many don't trust you yet, Lord. What does it look like for us to commit ourselves to sacrificial service? Lord, help us to stop. Help us to push back against the ideas that well, yeah, I, I see what's being said there, but you know, of, of course I need, to, I need to think about my needs. God, Help us. Help us to realize that you have said you will take care of our needs. You've called us to pour ourselves out. We need your help, Lord. This is hard. We, we get hit with 
a myriad of counter messages to this every day. Help us to be intentional in it. Help us to really believe it. And help us to walk it out for your glory and our good. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.